0: Father, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy. And we look forward, Lord God, to see what you would do in the coming days. And we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you, where we will depend our lives and our livelihood and our faith and our trust in the God who had created all things to you and in you. We live and move and have all beings. And we do thank you, Lord, and we praise your name. And may your Son's name be glorified upon our lips, in our mouth, be filled with praise and the glory and the honor. let's do your name. and I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Happy New Year. The crib, the cup and the cross. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. "Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people why was jesus had to be made like us the question why couldn't he just be god exist in the natural state in which god exists we don't know what that is it's not substantive like we do but why was he had to be born to be physically present here in this life and this text is implicit in saying all things wherefore in all things He was made like us, how we feel, what we think, all the things that pertain to our human nature, Jesus Christ went through and felt. Why? He was made like us, according to the text, Jesus was made like us because of God's mercy and faithfulness. We don't know how he was made like us. We don't know how he was incarnated, how did God become, it's a miracle, it's a mystery, but we know why. And the reason why he was made like us is to show God's mercy and faithfulness. That's the why, but we don't know the how. Jesus is the only means where we can be reconciled to God, which the text here gives you a hint that we somehow have been separated from God. And not only separated, the word "reconciled" means to make peace again, meaning we have been made enemies to God. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ exists in the body is to make reconciliation for us with God. And he had to do it in the body, in the physical form. And that's what we know, and that's where we are as the church. Jesus was perfect, sacrificial lamb. This is how God has ordained our salvation to be. For every sin, there is a payment. For every transgression, there is a payment for that transgression. When you do sin, you pay for sin. For the wages of sin is we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only person who did not sin was Jesus Christ. And so Jesus became the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God for us. I know some of you said, yeah, we know this already. Well, if you know it, then preach it to the world. Well, yeah, we preach something else today. Right? We, we preach humanism, what we believe to be good and moral and right. But the Apostle Paul says, I know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The divinity of Christ satisfied the justice of God. Because we violated an infinite God, He has to be satisfied. Justice demands that whatever wrong was done, we did not harm God. We wronged Him, and it had to be repaid. And only Jesus Christ, an infinite God, can pay for an infinite Father whom we have dishonored. The divinity of Jesus Christ satisfied the justice of our eternal transgression against God. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now this is important. He was made flesh. God made Christ flesh because this is the only way that He could redeem us. God does not do things that is unnecessary. If this is not the only way, then Jesus Christ would have not been made flesh. But the fact that he was made flesh, this was the only way. Let's explore how this come about. I cannot tell you how the incarnation happened because that's the mystery and it is a miracle. But let us explore from the crib to the cup and then to the cross, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 12 says, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in the manger jesus christ was born we just celebrated christmas he was born as a baby he did not exist as a grown person he was born as a baby in the manger something that we all have experienced we were all born the son of god put on flesh and was born of a woman to be among creation now this is something that just boggles the mind how can the creator be part of creation it's like me somehow digitize myself, and become a piece of software. If you think about it, it, it just, it's impossible. It, it boggles the mind. And somehow God created us and then became a, a creation, the condescension of God, so that he can be among his creation to save us, to reconcile us to the Father. It's beyond our understanding. It's beyond all human understanding and reasoning how the creator God can become one of the created. To dwell with his creation, the incarnation of Jesus Christ will remain a mystery. We cannot ever come to comprehend it or understand it among us. No, not the game, but the Lord Jesus Christ is among us. Fortunately, we all know about that game more than we know about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? Yet he existed for all eternity. We will not know how the Word became flesh. We read, and the Word was made flesh. We believe it, I believe it, do you believe this? Or does it have to be proven to you? Because I tell you what, this can never be proven. How the Word is made flesh can never be proven. You cannot use scientific method to prove how the Word is made flesh. It's impossible. This is a miracle. But we are told why God made flesh, so that He can be here among us. God will not do what is unnecessary. The implication of why the word was made flesh has divine imperative. We've been told by the scripture that all flesh shall see God. This is prophesied in Isaiah. All flesh, meaning everyone that lives, will see God. How can you see God? You cannot see God. We cannot see the things that exist that exist in the supernatural realm so the supernatural came to us Jesus Christ was made flesh so that it fulfills the word of God has spoken that all flesh shall see God and so God appeared in flesh so that we with our eyes with our human eyeballs we can see the Lord God Christ must put on flesh because we need to see him we need to see him we need to touch him we need to feel him and we need to be touched by God this is how we are saved we're not saved through some virtual means, otherwise we shouldn't do communion. We're not saved by some metaphysical understanding. We're saved because Jesus Christ was made flesh and walked among us, and we touch him, and we see him. The church is his body, and we have relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet some of us deem that it's beneath us to partake in communion. I cannot see how this is possible for your salvation. When you hold that cup, when you hold that flesh, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter which theological framework you come from, that is what the Lord instituted because He was made flesh to dwell among us. Christ put on flesh so that we can receive Him. Without Christ being made flesh, we cannot receive Him. There is no resurrection if there's no incarnation, we cannot be resurrected, because we all were born, and so Jesus Christ had to be born and be among us. That is why the crib happened. Jesus said this to Peter, when Peter said, "No, no. The symbolism is good enough. And this is what Jesus Christ responded. When, G- when Peter refused that Jesus Christ would touch his feet. And this is what he said in John chapter 13, verse eight, "If I wash thee not, thou hast no part." with me. Jesus must touch us. There's a physical connection between the Lord and us. If there isn't, we're in the wrong religion because the Christian religion is one that God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was made flesh so that he can touch us. He can wash the disciples' feet. There is a physical connection to our Christian faith. Otherwise, you're in the wrong church. He walked in our shoes. The son of God came to dwell among us so that he could go through all that we go through. So that he understands when we are hurt, when we are sad, when we are happy, when we are joyful, when we are depressed, when we are lonely, when we lose loved ones. He cried, shed tears. He walked in our shoes just like every human being that ever existed, except that he was without sin. The Son of God had to take on flesh because he had to go through everything that you and I go through. Have you ever been hungry? Jesus was hungry. Have you ever been sleepy? Jesus was sleepy. He slept on the boat. He went through all these things so that we know that we do not have a high priest who are not close, who are not just like us, who went through all the things that we went through and the author Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin Jesus Christ was tempted just like you and I whatever you go through however your emotion and your feeling might be Jesus went through all that the only difference is that we reach out and stole something we lied. We say things that are untrue, and Jesus Christ did not. That's the only difference. But all those emotions and all of these infirmities, the pain, the agony, when they whipped him, when they beat him, when they slapped on him, when they spat on him, he felt the humiliation and the pain and all these things that you and I feel. Jesus Christ, your high priest, was born in the flesh so that he can walk in our shoes and feel and be touched with all feelings. We can only know God through revelation. But if Jesus Christ did not incarnate and be among us, we cannot see him and God is not revealed. And so Jesus Christ is God's revelation in the flesh in so much that we can see him and talk to him and he talks to us. We touch him and he touches us. This is why Jesus Christ was made flesh. Jesus Christ is God's revelation to us. And without God's revelation, we can never know God. There's no way we can know God. If God speaks, we could not understand. And so Jesus Christ is the translation of the divine in the natural. He was what we can understand. God does not sit on the throne and condemn the wicked world. He sent his son and we looked at his son and we beat him and we crucified him. This is how we treat God's revelation. And today... We accuse God of being distant, but when he sent his son, what did we do to his son? God is wrathful because he's just, but before his wrath came, his son came, took on flesh like us, dwelt among us, walked in our shoes, be treated just like how many people are being Treated it today, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. Matthew chapter 18, verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. This is God. This is who we serve. This is who I preach. This is all God. He is not willing that any should perish. Hear the word of the Lord. These little ones, we are all little ones according to God. In God's eye, we are his children. He, did not, he does not want any of us to perish. And so he sent his son, knowing that we will treat him the way that we treated him. God is not willing that any should perish, Peter says. And Jesus took on flesh and walked in our shoes so that humanity can touch and be touched by God. The cup. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Life is cruel. Actually, people are cruel. The Lord takes the cup meant for us. This is what life is. This is how we have made life to be. And the one who did not deserve any of these things, Look at how life, how society, how we treated the Son of God. This is the cup. He did not deserve any of these things that were done to Him. And though the things that are done to most people, we deserve it. And yet today, we hail a criminal as a hero. And we crucify the Savior, as a criminal. The irony. The cup. The Lord took the cup to show us how we should live. How we should be as the sons and daughters of the living God in this life. The cup represents how we should live. Paul lamented, the days are evil. The days are evil. Three days have passed since the beginning of this year. It's a virtual thing, it's a a mental thing. If you walk back those three days, what have you done? The days are evil, it's fleeting. Things go and you cannot take it back. Life is cruel. The cup is ever before us. And many of us say, no thank you. But Jesus Christ, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. To deal with life. We must know the will of the Lord. Even Jesus, he said, remove this cup from me. This is hard. Life is hard. Even for the Son of God who was clothed in flesh just like us. And he prayed, remove this cup from me. And yet, in the end, he said, not my will, but thine be done. Do you know the will of the Lord? Acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. We hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Man acquainted with grief, our Savior, is something that we want to steer clear from. The Lord our Savior, despised, rejected, it's not the Christianity packaged and brand and delivered. If grief. Be it far from me. Remove grief from me. You know, our aversion to pain is abhorrent to God. Because Jesus Christ, knowing how cruel we would treat the Son of God, God sent him to be treated the way that he was treated. And yet today, we try to be as far removed from grief and pain as we possibly can because it is abhorrent to us. We desire the glory, but unwilling to accept the cost. We're living in a world, a society, where pain avoidance is the number one priority. How to best avoid pain, agony, and grief? Parents, you, you know this. The over of today's youth will have dire consequences for the society in the future. Give you an example. This generation inexperienced with pain and grief, I mean, real pain and grief, not the kinds that happen inside your mind, made them both desensitized to real pain and grief and oversensitized to internal discomfort. That's my pain, that's my grief. When I feel discomfort, when someone says something that's uncomfortable. If it's all comfortable to you all, raise your hands and worship the Lord. That's our culture today. If it's comfortable for you. And when we feel discomfort, we have this cognitive distortion. Because we believe that there is, no, there shouldn't be any pain and grief in life. So if you say something that's uncomfortable to me, that's pain. That's hurtful. And we respond with external violence. Half a million dollar. Trash. UC Berkeley. Remember this? 2017? Because they were uncomfortable with the speaker that was sent there. Uncomfortable. So they threw Molotov cocktail. The speaker wasn't even there. We become so... Distorted in our minds. We hold on to because parents, you teach your kids, you shield your kids from experience real pain. They are not acquainted with grief and pain like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today, a little discomfort, a little uncomfortable disagreements. Instead of having a discourse, we just raise up our banners, get out on the street, break the store. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with talking to each other and accepting that other people might have differences in opinions. We don't know how to deal with it. And so you have to agree with me and be happy about it. And so I smile. We gather a mob and take up arms and crucify the one who was made himself acquainted with grief. We need to return, we need to teach our kids, it's okay to fall, it's okay to scrape your knee. There's physical pain that's real, and there are things in life that's more painful than just a little discomfort, things that make us feel uncomfortable. All the glory, none of the cost. Mark, chapter 10, verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism? Them baptized with, a mom just like many parents today, asked to have her children one sit on the left and one sits on the right. How little do we understand the cost of this glory? That when this same person, whom they wished to be on the left and the right, was captured, tortured, and crucified, anyone stood on his left and right? If we ever see Jesus in the light of God, he is unlike anything we have imagined. Isaiah 52:14 paints us the image of this Christ. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Jesus Christ was acquainted with grief. He knew that in life there's pain, there's agony. Gladly took the cup because he knew the will of the Father. Is it comfortable for him? No. It's beyond that. It's painful. It's grievous. And yet the Father, the will of the Father, was his gaze and his fixed, where he fixed his eyes. Use wisely. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. The communion cup, we hesitate to take it. But when our friends put a cup in front of us, we obliged to take it. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. It's incompatible. When we come together, like we do today, to partake in the Lord's communion, there's an allegiance that we take when we partake in the bread in the cup. When you take the bread of the Lord, you are saying that I am part of your body. When we take the cup, we are saying that we are part of Christ's body. When you reject to take the cup and the body, you are saying that I would not owe my allegiance to the body and to the cup that's before me. We proclaim our allegiance when we partake in the Lord's sufferings and his death and in his resurrection. For I reckon that the suffering at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation that the creature waited for the manifestation of the Son of God. The, the glory of God is not without grief and pain. The cup is what we need to take and we need to understand the will of the Father. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Christians, you cannot be both pleased, the world and the Lord at the same time. You cannot have the world's approval and the Lord's approval. There are two distinct paths, the cup of the Lord or the ones from the world. Which one will you choose? When you choose the cup of the Lord, the world sees you as an enemy. If the world hates you, Jesus says, Know that it hated me before it hated you. It's a clear distinction between the Lord's cup and the world's cup. Choose wisely. Choose the Lord's cup. Take the Lord's cup. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-six: For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. There is an obligation. There is a charge to every time that you take the cup. That's why when I say, when you eat the bread and drink the Lord's cup, you are taking this oath of allegiance to the Lord, and you're saying, I will proclaim, I am your servant, and whatever you say that I will do, we will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus Christ has redeemed us and set us free. The right response of the redeemed is absolute devotion. What is devotion? Devotion is not when it's right you do it. Devotion is when it's wrong, you still do it to you because you might not understand it yet. Devotion is when everyone else drops the bags, you don't walk away. That is devotion because you're a servant. You have skin in the game. Things are more than how I feel. This I can do, but that I can't do. No, a servant does whatever is placed before him. This is what allegiance, this is what devotion means. Christians are committed to Jesus, not out of obligation. No, no. It's not because he threatened you, throw you in hell, but because I love him. I might not understand everything that's happening, but I do whatever it takes. That's devotion. That's the cup. You see, the Lord says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, in his humanity, distinctively from his, or separately from his divinity, did not know. Yet he said, Let your will be done. I will do it. The cross. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Man's salvation demands Jesus' flesh should be nailed on that cross. It's all sin. It's all sin. Because we're supposed to be there. And so Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross for us. The cause of our transgressions is the death of an innocent man. That's what the cross means, simply. Being a priest, Jesus' role was to put himself in our place, in the vicinity of sin and transgression. Jesus Christ took on flesh, took the cup, bore the cross, because he had to take our place. To be a high priest, he must put on our humanity and live as a human from birth to death. Otherwise, he is not fully human. The beauty of the cross is not in its material, even though some might glorify in the wood, but in the substance of God's sacrifice, the body that's broken for you and I. God with us. The appearance of Jesus in the flesh conveys the nearness of God to us. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus Christ in the flesh so that God can be with us. As much as we want to keep people safe by distancing ourselves, I'm going to visit my mom. There's something that's more than safety, even though safety-ism is a new religion. God was not deterred by the sinfulness of mankind. God did not say, that is dark, that's sad, that's bad. I won't go there. He put on humanity so that he can be with us. The motivation for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We need to be motivated by love. And you know, if anything happens, I love my mother. On the other hand, if something would happen, I'm not there. It's inconceivable. It's possible. The death of the Lord on the cross declares that God is not genuinely present. Present here with us, but that He loves us beyond what we can understand or prove with our logic or reasoning or scientific methods. Love, unprovable, cannot prove love. Once you start proving love, you don't got any. The only exit, the body of Jesus on that cross, carved a path to the Father. None of us chose the crib to which we were born. But God has chosen Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for us in redeeming us. Decide which cup we are going to choose, the Lord or the world. The cross is something at the end. That's our exit. Can ye drink the cup that I drink of is the question that the Lord asked. The Lord asks you, the church today, can you drink the cup that the Lord drink of? The man of grief and sorrow. Can we drink this cup? To be a follower of Jesus Christ, or in other words, to be a Christian is to be like Jesus Christ, to drink his cup, to take his cup. And he said, indeed, you will drink my cup. It is not us, but it's the Lord's chosen. If I know the Lord has chosen me, then the cup I will drink. But if you choose, we cannot make our own way to God. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. Can you drink the cup? Do you see the cup? Is the cup presented to you? Unlike the sons of Zebedee, we might not have the audacity to answer the Lord. Yes, we can drink the cup, Lord. But we can join with Peter in saying this. Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And if it be that I drink this cup, I will gladly drink it. something distinctively different about that, isn't it, in this generation. Something so foreign about the concept of being acquainted with the cup of the Lord. Take the cup and let us head toward the end of our journey. The cross of Jesus Christ is the exit. In Hebrew chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of all faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, Endure the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that is set before him. And I pray that this year that we will fix our eyes to the cross, choose the cup of the Lord, and with joy tell the world that there is love, and the love of God is here with us and among us and in us. That we are the vessel in which God will use to show the world that this grief and pain and agony, nothing compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in expectation that you would do exceedingly beyond that which we could imagine. Lord, to you there is no marker of that year or this year. To you there is eternity. And I pray as a church, as we come to realize that our race is not short, but our race is eternity there is a savior who is not absent from our every moment but that you are here and your word and i believe in what you have said that you never leave us or forsake us that you have sent your spirit to dwell with us and to lead us and in this year when forgive my foolishness that we would hold on to the sensitivity to your holy spirit that we will be propelled by your holy spirit to move Toward the direction of the cross. Let the cup not be something that we are afraid of, even though it is frightening, even though it is hard, Lord. And every time we look at it, every time we see it, we see the demise of our own will and lust, the flesh. But God, give give us the faith and the boldness to say, Lord, if it is your will, let me drink it. Give me the grace, give me the power, give me the strength to drink it when no one else will raise the cup, let me raise it to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, let, let this year be the year where we enter into a new relationship, into a new bond of perfectness, unity with your Son, Jesus Christ, led and taught and revealed by your Holy Spirit let the joy of the Lord be our strength and let every moment of our lives be filled with the hope and expectation that you will use us to show the Lord's death until he comes for us Lord and for me the cross of Jesus Christ is our destiny may we not be so blinded by this world that we cannot see the glory that is to be revealed in us I pray for the church Lord that we will hold on I pray for the church, not just existing, but that we, would be, that we would live abundantly in this time, that we will proclaim that there is true, true joy and love in you, and that we will be infectious in our joy and in our love in this coming year. And those who are in pain, those who are truly hurt, they will find peace in you and know that the infirmities of this life cannot touch our soul, for we have been guarded by the Son of God. We thank you, Lord. I pray for this church. I pray for all those who are in a distance, that one day in the coming days that we'll become together again. That we will join in unison and in harmony to worship and praise the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year.